Hey everyone, this is Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I'm so glad that you are joining us. We believe this ancient Eastern text was never meant to study alone, so we choose to do it in community. We will take one book a semester and one chapter a week to really dig in to understand the context and the culture that the book was written in so that we can better understand how to apply what God was saying to our lives. Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall more in love with Jesus because you have fallen in love with his word. This season, we are going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and today's episode is chapter 10, A Peek into Israel's Past. Well, before we get started, I do want to um, say thank you to all the people that donate and support our ministry. We just got finished um, with our um, Sisterhood Weekend, which is a weekend retreat for women. Um, and this go-round, most of these people did not know each other. And while we do want them to form a sisterhood, um, there is so much more that we are working through in that weekend, um, really healing and freedom. And also, even if you have healed and you have found freedom, we want to launch you into what God has created you to do. And I am telling you that we always pray for months over um, our participants, but God once again has blown us away with what he does and what only he can do. I mean, these ladies were um, they formed a sisterhood like we couldn't have cultivated. Um, it was only through Jesus and the love and support that they had for each other and the breakthrough and the freedom. And I am losing my um, camera. It's falling. So those of you that are listening online, I'm trying to balance this out. And Jesus, please help us get a good setup that doesn't fall apart while I am teaching. There we go. Um, we're just going to roll with it. I'm not starting over and I'm not editing this. Um, okay, so we thank you for for those of you that support. While these ladies do pay a fee, it still is not enough to cover all that um, we do there, but we, we don't want to charge an astronomical amount. Um, and some of these ladies are sponsored, and so we just thank you for um, supporting that, and that is... Um, money well spent. Also, I want um, to mention to you that we are hosting on November 16th a Bible study release from one of our team members, Shara, but this is not going to be your typical book signing where you're just sitting in a library reading books. We are doing this um, in Shara Edgar fashion, which she's the life of the party, and so we are throwing a party where you get to come. Even if you don't know her, you get to come. You will get the new Bible study, but we have a special guest there that is going to teach us her method of studying the Bible, which is called verse mapping. And so um, while you get um, to have fun with your girlfriends and drink coffee and eat food and mix and mingle, you also are going to get a beautiful brand new Bible study, but then tools to go home and tackle God's word for yourself. So we are excited. This is not your typical, hey, read this passage and fill in this blank. This is really just guiding you through a chapter, um, one chapter a week, just like Bible Nerd says it. So we invite you to be a part of that. You can sign up. Registration is on our Facebook page, and that is November 16th. And um, that is definitely going to help you grow 
in your Bible study reading. Um, right before we get started, I'm going to pray for Israel. Lord, we just thank you for your word. and We thank you for your plan um, for a chosen group of people that you decided to bring salvation to the world through. Thank you for grafting us into that family. We pray Psalms 122. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. We pray for many people to turn to know you as the Messiah and as the way and the truth and the life through these circumstances here. Keep people safe and may your peace be with them regardless of what is going on in the world. We thank you for that. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Okay. We are diving in to... Uh, I'm just switching some chords. Okay. We are diving into chapter 10. Paul has been addressing some things that he had heard about the Corinthian church through Chloe's house, but then he also received a letter from them and they have some really good questions. And he has been walking through those questions. Um, and we are just continuing that. This chapter is really how to be in the world, but not of the world. And don't we all need a more specific roadmap? Well, guess what? God gave us the Holy Spirit to navigate this. But many of us have questions like, how do we, I mean, the biggest one that I've seen just this month is Halloween. As Christians, how do we navigate through Halloween? And, um, you know, do we love our neighbors um, just like we're commanded to do and, and show hospitality? Do we... Um, run and flee from the whole day. Well, in this day in Corinth, the question was surrounded about these temples, these pagan temples. And um, do we eat the meat that was sacrificed to these false gods? How do we navigate that? And so what we are learning here through the um, Corinth church, we can apply to our lives. And this really is going to take guidance from scripture and the Holy Spirit to navigate these type things. So um, how to be in the world, but not of the world. Paul's going to continue the conversations of idol temples and pagan feasts, and he's going to take us to Israel's past. So verse one, it says, now I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. I'll explain what that means in a minute. They all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ, but God was not pleased with most of them for they were struck down in the wilderness. Paul is really wanting this church to learn from Israel's past. Don't make the same mistakes that Israel did. There are some things that we are going to need to check at the door and leave and flee from. So the very first thing that he mentions is that this is... Um, First of all, he doesn't mention this, but this is, we worship the same God as these children of Israel. The Corinth church had the same God. And it says that they all had a, a cloud. They, let's see, they um, all were under the cloud and passed through the sea. So there was a cloud of God's glory. Um, it, it was said to be the Lord that led the wilderness, that led the children of Israel through the wilderness for those 40 years. It was a cloud by day and it was a, a pillar of fire by night. So that's how they knew where to go. So God led them through the wilderness in a cloud. And then it says they all passed through the sea, talking about the Red Sea. The cloud symbolized God's loving care and his guidance. And the Corinthians 
to have this loving care and guidance that will help them navigate the world that they're living in. The, the passing through the sea was a picture of God's deliverance and salvation. He delivered them from the hands of Egypt. Pharaoh and his troops were coming down to devour them. The Red Sea parted. The children of Israel were able to walk on dry land to into um, the wilderness, and that saved them. Um this would have made early Christian Jews think of baptism. This was a picture of baptism. It was parallel to that. This word baptism is from the Greek word that is baptizo. And that means that it is something, this was a common word. Again, all of these words weren't spiritual words in this day. This was just common words that the Lord would use as pictures of a spiritual reality. So, in this world, tanners, people who worked with leather, and people who worked in the clothing industry would baptize their cloth or their leather. And the word was baptizo, and that was a picture of taking something and soaking it into a liquid. Say you had some white cotton material and you wanted it to be purple. You would baptize your white cloth into the purple dye so that what was dipped would take on the qualities of what it had been dipped in. Think about that. In the practical, my white cloth was going to take on the properties of the purple dye. But think about that in our lives. When we are baptized, when we go into the water, we are that that cloth. And what we are wanting to do is we are going, wanting to take on the properties and the characteristics of what we are being baptized into, which is living water, which is Jesus. Just like Israel placed their hope and their faith in Moses, because he says in here that they were baptized into Moses. So that means all of these Israelites put their hope and their faith in this one man to lead them to salvation. And they were, um, they followed his vision just like they did with him. We are united and, um, and accept the vision of Jesus, our Lord, and we follow him. Now, he goes on to say that they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. Well, this spiritual food God provided for them in the wilderness. It was manna, um, which basically means, what is this? And it was quail. So they had bread and they had meat daily. And then it they had water from the wilderness. A lot of their journey was during dry months and God would miraculously provide water. In fact, um, here was something interesting. It says they all drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. This rock was Christ. I thought that that was interesting because whenever you read in the Old Testament, you don't really conclude that there's a rock that's following them. But in the Haggadah, which is a Jewish interpretation of the text mixed with folklore, it states that God's people were accompanied in the desert by a rolling stone that poured out fresh water. Jesus was literally with the children in the wilderness. My dog is crying somewhere, so give me just a second. She's pretty lazy. 
She was at the front door and she has a doggy door. But I guess that would be too far for her to walk out in the cold. It's really cold today. So these um, Jesus was with them in the wilderness and he was their food and he was their water. He was sustaining them. This, just like them walking through the Red Sea, would have been a picture to the Jewish Christians of this day of baptism. Them looking back on the quail and the manna and the water was a picture of Christ being their sustainer. And it also paralleled to the Lord's Supper. He is, um, Christ being the rock that rolled in the desert was the sustainer. And now we know that Christ is the word in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and Christ is the word. So the word is our sustainer now, but this all parallels to the Lord's supper. We are going to talk about the Lord's supper in detail next week. But I do want to just mention that the Lord has taken my husband and I on this journey with the Lord's Supper, you know, in the, in the traditions that we were um, served in for the past 17 years, the Lord's Supper was kind of, you know, you, you pass it, it goes real quick, um, and you fit it into service whenever it's convenient. You hope for once a month, but then things come up and you push it off. And, um, you know, do we have time for it this week? And... Uh, whenever we um, decided to do our first Bible nerd nights, I had just gotten the Anchor Bible Dictionary, and I had heard about something in the the New Testament church, the early church did, and it was called a love feast. And the love feast, it was basically just after services, they would get together and eat and, and enjoy one another's company. But that is where weekly, or how often they met, when there was a love feast, there was communion. And so... I just got in the Anchor Bible Dictionary, which is like an encyclopedia of um, of Bible things. And so I started looking up Love Feast, which led me to a deeper understanding of communion and how important it was. It was such an important part of the early church, the way that we focus on maybe children's ministry or praise and worship. And we want to get all of that perfected on every Sunday morning. We're not going to just go, oh, if we have time to get to it. That's how communion was to the early church. And and it was to the early church because it's one of the things, of the few things that Jesus said, do this as a command, do this in remembrance of me. And so as I studied it further, I, I came to realize, you know, not that I don't know what I pictured the early church doing, but I mean, it wasn't a little cup and a little still wafer that we could pass through as quickly as we can to get on to the more important things. But it it really was something for us to pause and to sit in. It was something extremely holy. And I'll talk more about that, what that looks like practically, um, because the whole thing is just so beautiful and so symbolic. So we we did. We did um, on our Bible Nerd Nights, we participated in the communion like the early church did, um, and that I'll show you next week. But um, newly had a uh, God had really stirred on his heart to do this every week with our church gathering. And so we did, and we didn't really have any scripture to back up. Just newly was saying, explaining, this is, this is where the Lord is leading. And this really has changed the way all of us have, have viewed communion. And one of the things that I have experienced is God's presence in it. You know, we've trained ourselves to experience and have this experience expectancy of God's presence in worship, but um, 
someone challenged me to start having that same expectancy in the Lord's Supper. And I'm telling you, it's just a beautiful thing whenever you just slow down and really participate in reverence and do everything that scripture says. And, um, it's just, it, it, you know, while the Lord had opened my eyes to some things and then stirred on Newly's heart to do it more often, he had really, you know, challenged some of the people in our congregation to, to study this further. And I love that there being brands, you know, like, oh, okay, well, Carrie and Newly are doing it this way, but I'm going to search scripture and see what it says. And then some of them have come back and taught us even deeper fundamental truths about it just to make it so beautiful. But I love when you can see God moving across the nation. Uh, like it's not just Newly and I that he was awakening. Um, well, apparently Francis Chan, he, he has a lot of stuff on it. And what was so, um, I guess just confirmation is we found some of his teachings after the Lord had taken us on our journey, but it was just confirming the richness and the importance of this. There's a podcast I listen to with charismatic guys that want to not, they want to to take charismatic people and give them sound doctrine. You know, what, what has just been traditions in the charismatic church and what is scripture? So they're really balanced. And one of them was telling their story of communion and how he has a church in Dallas and how the Lord had brought him on a journey and they do it every single week now. And they do it completely different than they've ever done. Really taking time through it, not rushing through it. And then, um, just today, while I was preparing for this, I got on Facebook real quick, and one of the um, Christian leaders I follow said that God was bringing a revival of communion back to the church. And I'm just like, Lord, this is so amazing, and I don't think it's coincidental that we will be talking about this in depth during Corinthians. So we'll talk about that more next week. That was just a setup, but we are moving into verses 6 through um, through 10. And these all go together. It says, now these things become types to us. Remember, we're looking back at Israel's past. So these examples have become, or these had become examples to us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Please. He's saying, please let's learn from their mistakes because they had some hard things they had to go through because of their mistakes. Don't become, and now Paul's going to list four things for us to look at that the Israelites did and that we need to flee from. Don't become idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to play. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. In a single day, 23,000 of them fell dead. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. Nor should we complain as some of them did. They were killed by the destroyer. These are four things that will devour Christianity. These are things that we are to cut off because it will come in and wreck folly into the relationship, into the body of Christ. And in the Old Testament, God was so serious about these things that he sent very hard lessons for them to follow. They were killed either by snakes or disease or just being slaughtered before and never being able to go into the promised land. So we're going to look at each of these. So the first one, don't become idolaters. He is referring to in Exodus chapter 32, the golden calf. Moses was up on the mountain on Mount Sinai receiving instructions from the creator of the universe. And the Israelites got antsy and 
the Egyptian pantheon of gods was so ingrained to them that it was very easy for them in moments of fear to quickly turn back to them. Instead of seeing all the miracles that the God, their God was doing to draw them out of Egypt and away from these pagan gods, their instinct when fear set in was just to turn back and worship like the pagans worshiped. So they um, erected a golden calf and, and, and with that, it said they ate and drank and got up to play. So this alludes to a very promiscuous party. Um, again, there's going to be some things that we talk about on this episode. So at this point, if you have little ones around, put the earbuds in or save this for later. But th- this, um, you know, we've talked about this. Worship in all of the pagan temples had very sexual um, group things that would go on. And so that's what eating and drinking and playing is referring to. So this is idolatry and, um, the playing refers to sexual prostitution, just like the Corinthians were used to. Um, and I loved what I think Chuck Missler said, they substituted playtime instead of prayer time. We are talking about indulgence. We are called to die to our flesh and participate in these spiritual holy things like prayer. They substituted praying for Moses while he was gone for playing. Um, A couple of things that I was um, thinking about this morning, modern day idolatry, um, materialism. That follows under modern day idolatry. In fact, we are so materialistic, just being honest, that Um, We are living in end times, Jesus said so. So whether that's in our lifetime or not, we're living in end times. And when you look at the state of the world and prophecy being fulfilled, I can't help but think the time is near. But when I talk to people about that, they are so in love with the things of this world that they rather they would rather Jesus not come. Now, all of us have been guilty of this, probably. Um, In fact, um, those of us that have experienced deep heartache and trauma, um, that's really when you awaken to the fact that there's so much, there's something so much better. But think about Eden. It was perfect. Even the work that Adam and Eve did, they didn't have to break their backs. I mean, it wasn't until after Eden that they had to, to till the ground and it was so hard. They worked in Eden, but it was just very easy. Snakes did not have venom probably in Eden. Um, the, the lion and the lamb, they, they are, everything is harmonious and good and pure and not defiled. And there's not food that can poison you. And there's not things in our water that can, and there's not all of these things in this world. There's not death. There's not sadness. I mean, it was a paradise and people are so addicted to the materialistic things of this world that they would rather God hold off and live in this world then go. I think that also, also we fear what we don't know, but materialism rules our world. Another thing that um, is modern day idolatry is this all kind of goes hand in hand, pride, ego, status, and success. I am telling you right now, there is nothing that will change a person quicker than success. That's not 100% true in all cases. There are There are people that are rooted and grounded in God's word that are able to walk through a tremendous amount of success unscathed. But I am telling you just this week alone, 
I am reading of another Christian leader, a giant in the faith, um, somebody who has discipled many, many people and had um, founded IHOP, which is the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, um, fall to years of sexual um, abuse to other women. I don't exactly know what that, that looks like, but you hear this time and time again. And it's just, it's so strange to me that success usually leads to sexual immorality, but, um, success can change a person. Um, this is no, this is nothing new under the sun. Even Adam and Eve wanted to have this knowledge. They wanted to know more. They wanted, um, to, um, acquire, um, life everlasting. They, and this is, um, they were basically tempted to feed their appetite, then suppress it. And God is saying, we need to suppress all of the whims that our flesh wants. It's about dying to ourselves and becoming more spiritual. So success is a modern day um, idolatry. It's basically setting ourselves up as God. Also self-indulgence. That can be recreational drugs, too much food. I mean, we have that problem here in America with obesity. Um, wanting to travel. First John um, two basically listed at three things is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. These are the three things Satan tempted Jesus with. So we've all been tempted by it, even Jesus himself. And, um, idolatry is looking to ourself and what pleases us instead of looking to others and laying down our lives for the betterment of other people. So then he goes on to, um, the second thing, which is sexual immorality. We've talked a lot about this already in our chapter, but I do want to mention that he said, um, I do want to mention what he's talking about here. As far as Israel's past, it says, as it, um, is written that, some of them, 23,000, fell dead in a single day. This is um, alluding to Numbers chapter 25. Um, there was, they were traveling, the Israelites were traveling through the wilderness and they get to Acacia, to the Acacia Grove and the men of Israel started having relations with the women of Moab. This was forbidden. Why? Because the, all these pagan nations worshiped other gods and God knew that sexuality is at the very center of every religion. And if you can draw the men or the women out and have sexual relations with them, the next step is for them to worship the pagan gods. And that's exactly what happened. They began to worship Baal of Peor. And the Lord sent a plague on them. Um, Zimri was the leader of Simeon's tribe. There's 12 tribes. Simeon was a tribe. Zimri was the leader of it. And he is actually going to his tent with a Moabite woman. And Phineas, one of the priests, one of Aaron's sons, went into the tent and drove a spear through them and killed them. Killed them both. It seems like they were in the act. And um, this, the tribe of Simeon, was where most of the 23,000 people were um, slain with this uh, plague. And so if the leader was the one that was caught by the priest going into the tent, it, it just makes perfect sense that it was this Simeon tribe that was participating in this. They were following their leader. So for, for those of us in some sort of leadership position, we have got to be guarded. We have got to flee from these things. We cannot dabble in this. We've got to flee from it because what we do, other people will follow in our footsteps. And this is so spiritual. I've seen this happen in churches where 
even the people don't know what sins are going on behind closed doors, but that is that is pushed, that agenda is pushed by a spirit. And if we invite that into a house of God, it will wreck habit. So the next thing that he mentioned is let us not test Christ. This is a reference to Numbers chapter 21. Um, the people complained, they lost their faith, they lost gratitude because they didn't like it in the wilderness. The wilderness was hard. And while I'm kind of making fun of them, I always read this and think I would have been right there. I would have been one of the ones complaining. The Lord sent poisonous snakes to bite them and kill them. They identified their sin as speaking against the Lord and Moses. That was what testing the Lord was when you speak against the Lord and Moses. And the Lord had Moses make a bronze snake on a pole. And whenever somebody was bitten on it because they had repented, they could look at that bronze pole and be healed. So testing the Lord. Um, just a couple of things that I jotted down this morning. Um, the word here in testing the Lord is N-A-C-A-H. And that means to try or to tempt. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6.16 to Satan. Do not test the Lord thy God whenever Satan was tempting him. The Israelites needed God to intervene, but doubt and fear took over them. So their conclusion was that God had abandoned them. Their expectations were set and not met. So God must have abandoned us. We're going to lose all faith and all hope in what he has promised us. And um, we are to not handle things that way. We are to trust God's word. And what I would say is practice what Jesus did, quoted out loud. Um, just like Satan came to tempt Jesus, he used scripture. And Jesus fought back using scripture because Satan was twisting it. Whenever you feel abandoned by God or when um, your expectations are not met, go back to scripture, find what God says, and then quote it out loud to yourself. I love that um, my friend Tammy says, we don't walk by blind faith but we do walk by faith. Blind faith is just, oh, I'm going to hope for the best. I'm going to just randomly believe God's going to do something. And really when we walk by blind faith, we have an expectation of what something's going to look like. And then when that's not met, doubt comes in. But faith, just true faith is looking into God's word and knowing what God's word promises. So if he promises he's going to deliver, he is. It might not look like you want your deliverance to look like, but you need to quote those promises to your flesh so that your faith can be built up. Um, and we need to change from leaning on scripture to, and looking away from unmet expectations. Uh, let's see. The last thing is, and it goes hand in hand with this testing the Lord, is don't complain. Some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. Um, Numbers 14, there was a report um, from 12 spies that went out, or 10 spies. 12, 10, I, I lost, I, I, it's lost me, my brain. Um, but the spies go out and... All but two of them are scared of the giants and scared of what they saw. Caleb and Joshua were like, no, we can take this. God's for us. Um, let's not have fear and we can do this. But the rest of them were petrified by these ginormous um, beings that they felt like grasshoppers. And um, so at that point in time, all the people decided that they wanted to appoint a leader to take them back to um, to Egypt. Um by this time, the Lord had had enough, and all of this generation from over 20 years up 
those generations, no one except Caleb and Joshua saw Canaan. They um, were forced to wander in the wilderness till every single one of them died. And Chuck Missler did, um, did the math. You know, the Bible gives different numbers of how many people were in Israel and how long they, they um, wandered. And in his math, he said that it comes out to an average of 90 people per day in the wilderness fell. They wandered for 40 years. So think about that. Um, the, the testing of the Lord and the complaining God takes serious. And so I really um, practice this because I, unfortunately, that is one of my weak spots where I can easily fall into complaining. And so I've done things throughout the years where I force myself to find something to be grateful for every single day. And it's not force, I force, I, but I get into the habit of doing this. And um, there's so many things to be grateful for. And some things are so small and we just take them for granted, like um, a cool breeze, a cloud covering the sun. Um, I mean, just little things that we take for granted because we're so used to it, but we need to have a heart of gratitude and that will help our faith and trust in the Lord. So these are things that Paul warned this, um, this church about. He says, now the things that happened to them as examples, um, and now these things happened to them as examples, and they were written as warnings for us on whom the ends of the ages had come. So these were an example. My camera is falling once again. These were examples to the Israelites, and what a better way for us to learn from their mistakes than have to walk through this and all the the consequences that come with it. And I love that Paul writes here that it's written for those at the end of the age that it has come. And so whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has overcome you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but the temptation he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. Oh my goodness. I'm having the worst problems today um, with this camera and I'm sorry. If you're listening, those of you listening to the online, you're just being distracted for nothing. I'm just going to hold this camera. Let me think what I can do. There we go. Sorry about that. Um, so this is a um, section that gets so misquoted a lot of the times, and we're going to just kind of break this down quickly to understand as we're wrapping up. Um, these things were recorded and written from the book of um, from Moses's uh, Torah so that we can learn from the past mistakes. To learn something is to change our behavior. We need to be careful not to be so confident in our Christian walk that we let our guard down because we too can fall into all of these temptations. Temptation comes in common packaging that's not unique it's not some big crazy thing that you can quickly identify it just comes in slowly and it's just sprinkled in and if we don't flee from the little things then we'll fall into these temptations even Jesus was tempted but the Lord will give us grace to handle our temptation there is an escape and the escape is scripture we return to the word of God we quote scripture and we flee from the things that God warns us to flee from the Corinthians are going into these temples participating in idol worship, and Paul is warning them that they are playing 
with fire. They need to commune with believers and set themselves apart from doing all of these things. One of the modern day examples of this is um, when I was thinking, well, how could this be modern day? I can remember um, there were clubs for teen, or there were clubs, nightclubs when I was a teenager, but they would have teen night and my parents never let me go and all my friends went and had fun and I did sneak out and go and they were fun. Um, but, um, the, I understand the reason why my parents told me that, Hey, there's a line. We're not going to do this because they were dark and they promoted underage drinking. And I can remember my brother working at something not, he didn't work at a nightclub, but he worked at just a trample, um, a gymnastics place that would have these nights. And for middle schoolers, they would find, sexual devices in the background and the in the bathroom afterwards so these places just promoted things that paul is saying flee from and so why even go there and tempt ourselves we are supposed to get as far away as we can from sin one of the things that i um was shown in bible school and it really let had a profound effect on me was um just picture of a simple target As Christians, we can do one of two things. If this is the world outside the target and the red dot is Jesus, we can try to get as close to Jesus as we can from leaving so many things of the world and just pursuing him. Or there's some of us that are always wanting to know, can I do this? Am I allowed to do this? And we want to get as close to the world as we can without stepping over that line. And that's what basically Paul's warning. We need to flee from everything going out here. Get as far away from it as you can because it will tempt you and you won't even know. And it will take you so far. So then he says, therefore... Dear friends, another word for this is beloved. It's just a term, a sweet term of endearment. Flee from idolatry. He's already told us to flee in chapter 6 from sexual fornication. Now he's saying flee from idolatry. I'm speaking as a, as to wise people. So, hey, you guys are wise. So you can judge what I say for yourself. The cup of blessing, let me just read and I'll get back to that, that we give thanks for is not for is it not for sharing in the blood of Christ and the bread that we break is it not sharing in the body of Christ? Okay, a couple things that he's talking about. Um, when the children of Egypt and the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt, there was a Passover angel that ended up killing all of the firstborn children um, of the Egyptians and their animals. And this is the one thing that Pharaoh decided, okay, I'll let... I will let um, your your people go. And the Israelites were saved from this because the Lord had given them specific instructions on to put blood on their doorposts so they were sacrificing meat and then um, how to quickly make bread that was unleavened. And if you go back and read and study it, all of this is um, was brought into remembrance every year at Passover. That is exactly what the Israelite people are are remembering back and thanking God for when they celebrate Passover. Well, Jesus at the Last Supper, that's what they were doing. They were having a Passover um, meal. And in that meal, there were four cups of wine and each one represented um, four things that God did in the wilderness. Well, the the cup three was a, a cup of thanksgiving. So this was already in the Jewish culture that when they drank that third cup, they were remembering back and being thankful for all that God had done. Well, Paul is telling them, You need to add Jesus's body on the cross and his blood being shed for us in that thankfulness. And then the bread 
Okay, so this cup, this, the cup that we drink, the, the, the wine, it represents God's blood, and that is a picture of our vertical relationship with God and man, okay? It was his blood that was shared, that was spilled, and through his blood, we can overcome death. Um, but the bread, the bread is a horizontal relationship between man and man. Everything about the New Testament is about communion and koinonia. In fact, it says here, the bread that we break, is it not sharing in the body of Christ? This word sharing, another word is participation or fellowship or koinonia. Koinonia is mentioned 20 times in the New Testament. And koinonia is a term for the relationship that believers have with one another. And it's a very unselfish relationship. It's us giving of ourselves to one another in fellowship. And so part of where this whole communion would be taken is at the love feast where they just sat and they ate and they provided food for one another. And so whenever we take the, the bread and I'll show this next week and I'm going to say it again because it's so out of our culture, but it would have been one loaf of unleavened bread. And so that's how we take it. It's one loaf and you break it off. Well, while that loaf is a picture of Christ's body, it's also to remind us that we as Christians are all one body of the same loaf. And so we break our own piece of bread off to remember that I am nothing alone, but I am better as one part of the body working together. And so this um, koinonia, this communion, this fellowship, this um, friendship um, as one body is so powerful. It's so much a part of the Christian walk. And he says, um, let's see, let's moving on. Um, verse 17, because there is one bread, See, he told you, um, we are also many of one body. So many parts, but one body for all of us share that one bread. Look at the people of Israel. Do they not eat the sacrifices participated in what is offered at the altar? What am I saying then that food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and with the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy just like in the wilderness? The Lord's Supper is a powerful mystery and it is probably one of the most underestimated things that is a part of a church that God's commanded us to do. And um, let's see, an enduring word, he points out that this idol in and of itself is nothing, but what they did believe, and let me see, I think that this, I did have this in my notes. Um, basically, I don't remember how I worded it, but an idol was just an empty vessel that when somebody worshiped, they believed that that entity would come and possess that idol. And so when you are participating in the communion of another false God, you are dancing with demons. It's, um, and these demonic spirits will take advantage of the idol worship to deceive and to enslave and to lead you into temptation. And so he's telling them to flee from that. Participating in the Lord's table isn't a safety net for us to dabble in the pagan world. We are to avoid it at all costs. So he goes into this liberty again, where he says, everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. Remember, this was a common saying, everything's permissible in Corinth. But he's saying, hey, 
If it's not helpful, then we need to avoid it. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. And as Christians, we are called to edify the body. We are called not just to have knowledge on a subject, which puffs up and makes proud, but we are called to build up. That is something that takes effort and sacrifice on our part. So it's not about us being wonderful. It's about us coming in as a servant and serving our brothers and sisters. And um, he is um, warning them that, yes, you have freedom and you're asking, well, what's the harm in it? Well, what you need to be asking is, well, what is the good in it? Can this harm others? Does this build other people up or does it build myself up? Um, how... How can, how or what do I need to flee from because it's hurting other people? And then he's going to take a turn and it kind of makes him sound crazy and contradictory, but he says, eat everything that's sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If one of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that's set before you without raising questions of conscience. Okay, this kind of sounds crazy because he just said avoid it. But what he's talking about is avoid the worship ceremonies where demons are being glorified. You can eat the meat. You know what? That meat came from God. So there's nothing that a demonic entity can do to taint the meat that will do anything like to possess you. So go buy the meat in the market. Go to the friend's house and eat the meat. Just don't ask any questions. But do not let yourself be caught in one of these temples worshiping the gods like they are worshiping. Let's see. But if there is a believer near around and they don't have a full understanding of how all of this works, if they don't understand the spiritual and the supernatural and their conscience is bothered because they suspect that this meat could have been um, sacrificed in a temple, then just avoid it. Because the bottom line is that we want to see many people saved. That's the bottom line. So if our liberties get in the way of that and cause people to, to either stumble or it causes people to lose faith, then um, we are to avoid it. I'm running out of time. It's just giving me a warning. So I'm going to go ahead and um, and to, to wrap it up. I had a great time with you. I hope you sign up for um, the Bible study bash. I'll see you next week. Happy reading.